Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No, me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. On Sunday, an elderly Jewish man attending a pro-Israel rally in Thousand Oaks, California, was killed after being allegedly hit in the head with a megaphone wielded by a pro-Hamas protester. That attack represents only the latest and most damaging anti-Semitic attack in the West. In Sydney, Australia, journalist Sherry Markson reports that a Jewish man was nearly beaten to death by a pro-Hamas mob and ended up in the hospital for four days with a concussion and four spinal fractures. In France, a Jewish woman was stabbed twice in the stomach and a swastika dabbed on her door. In Indiana, a pro-Hamas woman tried to drive a car into what she thought was a Jewish school. Normally, such events might spur nationwide conversations about anti-Semitism and the cost of radical rhetoric. After all, according to the White House, a national conversation regarding Islamophobia has been made necessary by the murder of a six-year-old Palestinian Arab child in Michigan. But no, there has been no such conversation about any climate of hate. That's for one reason and one reason alone. The people doing the hating and the people hated. Those doing the hating are fans of Hamas, both radical Muslims and fellow travelers on the left. Those being hated are Jews. And as everyone of sophisticated moral bent knows, Muslims being disproportionately brown and disproportionately poor and the majority in dozens of materially underperforming countries globally are victims. And Jews being highly educated and high earning and the majority in precisely one materially successful state are victimizers. That's always the math. Brown or poor equals oppressed. White or successful equals oppressor. Being a member of the oppressed means you are a victim no matter how evil you are. That is precisely why Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a raging Jew hater, is now being treated as a victim by many in the legacy media. Tlaib is a sitting Congresswoman, which means that by any standard, she is successful. But she is also brown and also hates the West, which means that she is a member of the oppressed class. And this means she can spout blood libels. She still maintains that Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza, despite all evidence to the contrary. It means she can call for the utter destruction of the state of Israel, pushing the slogan from the river to the sea and the genocide that inevitably entails. It means she can blame Israel for Hamas's attack on Israeli civilians while claiming moral equivalence between a group that burns babies alive and a group that attempts to avoid civilian casualties. It means she can spend her career hobnobbing with open terror supporters, and it means she can claim falsely that Israel is engaged in genocide and threaten President Biden over that false claim. And then, when called on her lies and her Jew hatred, she can shed crocodile tears. That's precisely what happened yesterday when a resolution sponsored by Representative Rich McCormick of Georgia called for her censure. McCormick's resolution censured Tlaib for, quote, promoting false narratives regarding the October 7th, 2023 Hamas attack on Israel and for calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. The resolution passed 234 to 188, with 22 Democrats voting in favor. This resolution, according to Tlaib and her allies, is oppression. Rashida Tlaib is the victim. Tlaib is a crybully. To be more specific, she is a cry Hamasnik. She supports the most egregious atrocities known to man, but hides behind her religion to claim immunity and then weeps about her supposed victimhood. Here she was yesterday claiming that she was being silenced and then, of course, crying about it. I will not be silenced and I will not let you distort my words. Folks forget I'm from the city of Detroit, the most beautiful blackest city in the country where I learned to speak truth to power even if my voice shakes. Trying to bully or censor me won't work because this movement for a ceasefire is much bigger than one person. Mr. Chair, do you know what it's like to fear rising hate crimes, to know how Islamophobia and anti-Semitism makes us all less safe and worry that your own child might suffer the horrors that six-year-old Wadiat did in Illinois? I can't believe I have to say this, but pa Palestinian people are not disposable. There are the deers. 
Oh, and she's comforted by Ilhan Omar, fellow Hamasnik. Oh, 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 it's okay, Rashida. It's okay. You're, you're strong, we Rashida. We are human beings. It's okay. You're f- huh. Just like anyone else. No one said that Palestinians are not human beings just like anyone else. They just said that Hamas is evil and should be destroyed. And she disagrees with that and believes that Israel is evil and ought to be destroyed. The take that she is a victim is weird, given that pretty much every major member of the Democratic Party rushed to her defense. Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic minority leader, blamed extreme MAGA pushback for blowback against the terrorist supporting Tlaib. Are you concerned about her use of that phrase from the River Tulsa stage? It's extreme MAGA agenda to say that, you know, from the river to the sea is bad. Representative Debbie Dingell of Michigan tried to claim that from the river to the sea is actually just open to interpretation like a piece of abstract poetry, a piece of genocidal abstract poetry, but abstract poetry nonetheless. Who knows what from the river to the sea means, despite the reference to, you know, an actual river and an actual sea. I spent all weekend in Michigan this last weekend talking to all the communities about the meaning of this phrase. And there are very strong feelings on all sides. And it's very clear that people interpret words in different ways. Personally, I choose not to use a phrase that is offensive to some and that many perceive as a threat. But I also take seriously living in a country that does not respect, restrict, forbid, time has expired. free speech. What could it mean? Who knows? It's just, it's so vague from the river to the sea. And she spent so much time exploring it that she still doesn't know. Tlaib's anti-Semitic fellow Hamas squad members joined in on the fun and games, claiming victimhood on Tlaib's behalf. Fellow Jew hater Ilhan Omar screamed about the unfairness supposedly suffered by Talib. What is true here is that every single one of them has not acknowledged the fact that Palestinians are dying in the tens of thousands, but will continue to say it is us who are not acknowledging humanity. Rashida will stand strong. The ladies, time has expired. Movement will continue for liberation until every single time has, expired. has the right Ge- to gentleman live from Maryland is recognized. If you really think that, that Ilhan Omar cares about Palestinians living in liberty, then why exactly is she standing up for Hamas, which keeps them under the thumb of a terrorist tyranny? Also, imagine having to wake up to that at four o'clock in the morning if you're her brother. Corey Bush, the BLM congresswoman from Missouri, joined the club too ranting in typically unhinged fashion about the horrors of supposed Islamophobia against Tlaib. Here's the BLM congresswoman. It's outrageous that my colleagues are blatantly, blatantly attempting to silence the only Palestinian American representative right here. Um, It's outrageous, but it's not surprising. And let me tell you, it's not surprising because this place is where 1,700 members of Congress, this elected body, enslaved black people. It's not surprising because they thought it was right. It's not surprising because this is a place where members continue to claim that the insurrection on the Capitol just appeared to look like a normal tourist visit. It's not surprising. 
surprising because this is the place where our black and brown staff members repeatedly speak of experiencing racism and sexism, Islamophobia, get pushed off of elevators, xenophobia, and more right here in this workplace. This is the place. And let me say this. She mourns for the 1400 is Hamas's tactic, writ small. Hamas started this conflict by murdering 1,400 Jews, including babies, children, women, and men. They still have 240 people kept in bondage in Gaza as their hostages. They openly brag about hiding rockets and terrorists beneath civilian centers. They are so open about it that even CNN anchors like Jake Tapper notice. Here was Jake last night. So Hamas, which is the government of Gaza, based on their own words, A, they think the loss of Palestinian civilian lives is just the cost of liberation. B, they think that even though they're the government of Gaza, it's not their responsibility to protect Palestinian civilians. The tunnels are for themselves, for fighting, not for civilians. And C, they're determined to continue attacking Israel the same way they did on October 7th, over and over and over, based on what they say. So for these reasons, Israel says... We can't have a ceasefire. Hey, when even Jake Tapper is noticing, that means that it's pretty obvious. By the way, Hamas just says this stuff out loud. There's an article in the New York Times today quoting a top member of Hamas and quote, Hamas's goal is not to run Gaza and to bring it water and electricity and such. Hamas, the Qasem and the resistance woke the world up from its deep sleep and showed that this issue must remain on the table. This battle was not because we wanted fuel or laborers. It did not seek to improve the situation in Gaza. This battle is to completely overthrow the situation. So Hamas commits a terrorist atrocity, not caring about its own civilians, and then hides its own civilians in front of rockets. But when Israel inevitably has to kill civilians in the process of targeting terrorists, Hamas then sheds the falsest of tears. They put out tape showing people mourning their dead, caused by Hamas. And the world largely falls for it. That's because the oppressor-oppressed narrative is all-consuming. It is all-powerful. This narrative outweighs decency. It outweighs truth. For those who believe the narrative, truth is of no consequence whatsoever. It's not even a tertiary value. So there will be no conversations about tone or hate speech or the obvious Jew hatred evidence on the streets of America's major cities, at least not with regard to Tlaib. There will be serious-minded conversations about how the evil MAGA movement is spreading Islamophobia for criticizing Tlaib. And stepping out of line will not be tolerated. That presumably is why after Senator Elizabeth Warren issued a tweet decrying anti-Semitism, she was then forced to rush out another tweet decrying Islamophobia. That is why the media are so studiously avoiding any language that might blame the killing of that Jewish man in Los Angeles on Hamasniks who allegedly slammed elderly men in the head with a bullhorn. Here was the headline from the New York Times, quote, Jewish man dies after altercation at dueling protests in California. Weird. I, I actually don't know how he died or why. Here was the headline from ABC News. Elderly Jewish man dies after confrontation with pro-Palestinian protesters in Westlake Village. That's weird because a lot of people are confronting each other, but nobody's dying. So what happened? Here's BBC News' headline. Jewish man dies after dispute at dueling Israel-Palestinian protests. These are all the same outlets that claim that January 6th rioters had killed a police officer by slamming him in the head with a fire extinguisher. The narrative must be protected at all costs. The victimizers are the victims. The oppressors are the oppressed. 
And as we all know, the victims and the oppressed must be excused for all of their myriad evils. In just one second, we'll get to the latest from the Middle East, where there are now arguments between the Biden administration and the Israeli government over what happens with Gaza when all of this is done. Over the past few weeks, Pure Talk has been working toward alleviating $10 million in veterans at by Veterans Day. Thanks to your support last week, they're 90% to that goal with a few days to go. Think about this. U.S. military is made up of 100% volunteers. These are men and women who willingly sacrifice everything they have for the country. When they're done serving, they return home to a tight job market and outrageous living expenses. That's why I'm so happy a private company like PureTalk has jumped in to help. When you switch to PureTalk's lightning fast 5G network, they will donate a portion of every new order to this noble cause. You can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service. You get the best cell phone service and you're helping out something fantastic. PureTalk's plans start at just 20 bucks a month, offering unlimited talk, text, more data, and mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and make the switch today. Let's help ease the burden on the men and women who have given us so much. Visit puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch over to Pure Talk today. It's the right move. It's the American way. Visit puretalk.com slash Shapiro today. Again, that's puretalk.com slash I've been using Pure Talk for all my phone calls for a year at this point. It's great. My phone calls are crystal clear. Great Tower Network Plus. You're helping out veterans. puretalk.com slash Shapiro today. Also, the world seems to be in a state of chaos. Well, now would be a great time to invest in your safety and well-being by securing your food storage right now. Go to preparewithben.com. Start your three-month emergency food supply. My Patriot Supply is your trusted partner for emergency preparedness. They're the country's largest preparedness company. They're more than equipped to stock your shelves. Whether it's a natural disaster, sudden emergency, or unforeseen circumstances, My Patriot Supply's high-quality food storage solutions ensure you and your loved ones are always well-fed no matter what comes your way. Their best-selling three-month emergency food kit provides delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners that last up to 25 years in storage. You can even customize your supply with a mega-protein kit with real meat or options that are gluten-free. These kits provide over 2,000 calories every day. They are simple to prepare. Just add some water, some heat, and then eat. If you order by 3 p.m., your food kit will ship fast on the very same day with free shipping. Then you stick in the closet, forget about it, and then, God forbid you need it, it's all ready to go. Invest in your safety and well-being. Again, go to preparewithben.com. Start your three-month emergency food supply. Go to preparewithben.com right now. That's preparewithben.com. Okay, so the Biden administration is, on the one hand, saying many of the right things with regard to Hamas. So John Kirby, the spokesperson for the National Security Advisor, he says that um, a ceasefire at this time is not appropriate, which, of course, is true. The prime minister has also said definitively uh, no ceasefire unless there is a return of all hostages. Is that a reasonable position that he's taken? You'll have to talk to the prime minister again. We're not going to characterize or armchair quarterback everything he's saying. We still believe that a general ceasefire is not appropriate at this time. And by general ceasefire, we're talking about everybody laying down their arms Uh, you know, for uh, an indefinite period of time in the anticipation of peace talks and some sort of negotiated settlement. And we just don't believe that it's the right time for that right now. We do think it is the time to continue to pursue pauses in the fighting of a temporary nature for specific purposes. Okay, so he is right about that. Although when he says temporary pauses for humanitarian, Israel is already doing that. They've opened humanitarian corridors that Hamas then attempts to close by shooting people who are guarding the humanitarian corridors. John Kirby also was having none of the Israel is genocidal nonsense yesterday. Again, this is good stuff from the Biden administration, a rarity to hear from people like me. Here is John Kirby yesterday. 
I heard this word genocide tossed around. But Hamas actually does have genocidal intentions against the people of Israel. They'd like to see it wiped off the map. They said so on purpose. So that's what that's what's at stake here. And we're going to keep making sure that Israel has that ability to do that. As for the voices, of course, we respect all different voices and perspectives on this. And we know that there's a, a lot of um, there, there's a lot of high emotion here when it comes to what's going on. We have never shied away from criticizing our friends and partners when we believe it's warranted, and we'll continue to do. That we also believe that uh, that uh, that the the best diplomacy, the the best progress in diplomatic pursuits, is to do it uh, privately and outside the public eye, and we'll continue to do that as well. And meanwhile, an Al Arabiya reporter went after John Kirby, and Kirby shut them down. So again, there's a lot of positive stuff here from John Kirby. And criticize Israel when actually it is in um, uh, violation of international humanitarian law and the Geneva Convention. With due respect, John, some people think that you repeat what the Israeli army spokesman is saying. It's exactly what they're saying you're repeating here. So how can you, why not these distended voices, not just understanding them and we have a channel because we're a democracy, why not? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with standing here and say when Israel do something wrong because you're the best friend, you have leverage on them, why not criticizing them? Your question presupposes that we've made some determination that the law of armed conflict has been violated, and I don't think we're not at that point. with the UN. I would just tell you that we're, we're not going to react uh, in near real time to every event. Israel has a right and a responsibility to defend itself. And we're going to make sure they have the tools and capabilities to do that. Again, we're one month after this. Um, and we ought not forget what happened one month ago. 1,400 people slaughtered in their homes at a music festival. And when Hamas decided to conduct operations, it was with the intent of killing people. Okay, he's right about all of that. Now, the problem is that the Biden administration then goes completely unrealistic on what comes next. And they're unrealistic about, again, what is happening in the streets of the United States. So yesterday, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked from that same podium about people ripping down posters of kidnap victims, the hostages that are currently being held in Gaza. And apparently she had nothing to say about it. She's just awful at her job, as always. A lot of videos of individuals who have been tearing down signs, many of these taking place in New York City, of Israelis presently being held hostage in Gaza. There have been some tense um, confrontations that have taken place there. Is the White House's view that these actions should be condemned, the pulling of the pulling down of them, or that that's a form of peaceful protest? Look, I, I have. I've sort of kind of seen the reporting here and there. I think it was from last week, There's right? There's been like 30 million videos that have gone around. No, so I know. I hear you. Spread. I hear you. I'm just not going to. Uh, I'm not going to. Okay? I'm not okay? going. Is that peaceful protest to I, pull that down or should I, you not be doing I'm just that? not going to go into uh, specifics on that particular thing. Uh, what I can say, there are real vi violent protests and threats that are happening right now. And senior administration officials are, are aware of these reports, uh, which are deeply concerning. And that is something that uh, we're focused on. That is weak tea. That is weak tea at best from Karine Jean-Pierre. But again, no shock there. Now, the problem is that if you do what the Biden administration seems to want to do, which is pretend that Hamas is like a tiny little group that no one likes in the Gaza Strip or in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, when you pretend that, you end up at the wrong solution. Again, you're pretending away the central problem here. The central problem here at root is not just that Hamas is a genocidal terrorist group. It's that a huge swath of Palestinians agree with Hamas by polling data, by electoral data. That is the reality. That doesn't mean they should be treated as military targets. 
Israel wasn't treating them as military targets anywhere during this conflict. It is members of Hamas who are being treated as military targets. And it is many civilians who agree with Hamas, who Israel is attempting to now usher down to the south of the Gaza Strip. The problem is, if you fail to recognize that there is a broader ideological problem within the Palestinian population, the minute that this is over, the next reconstituted government in Gaza will look exactly like the last reconstituted government in Gaza, which will look exactly like the current Palestinian Authority, which, by the way, is so unpopular because the Palestinian Authority literally pays people to kill Jews. They have a stipend that they pay to the families of terrorists who kill Jews. The Hamas terrorists who kill Jews, their families will get money from the Palestinian Authority. Those are the people the Biden administration wants to put in charge of the Gaza Strip. But the Palestinian Authority is too moderate for a huge number of people living in both Judea and Samaria and the Gaza Strip, which presumably is why there was an assassination attempt on Mahmoud Abbas. According to the Express.com, there's horrifying footage capturing what appears to be an attempted assassination against the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas. His convoy came under a hail of gunfire after he disregarded a menacing ultimatum from renegade Palestinian security forces urging him to declare war on Israel. Again, the biggest problem is that the Palestinian Authority, which is already extreme and hates Israel, and Abbas is a genocide. I mean, he, he actively says the Holocaust didn't happen. Abbas is too moderate for a huge percentage of the Palestinian population. That is the abiding problem. And until the West acknowledges that, there's not going to be anything remotely looking like even security in the Middle East. We'll get to that momentarily first. If you can believe it, Thanksgiving is just two weeks away. Just in time for the holidays, GenuCell is offering their best sale of the year. Right now, you can get 70% off GenuCell's most popular package, which now includes GenuCell 3, their newest under-eye treatment. GenuCell 3 will have you looking 10, 15, even 20 years younger. It uses advanced technology to deliver complex vitamins and minerals directly to your face for instant hydration. Say goodbye to those fine lines, crow's feet, under-eye bags, and dark spots. The GenuCell experience is like no other. But you don't have to take my word for it. GenuCell will have you looking and feeling your absolute best guaranteed or your money back. No questions asked. Producer Savvy loves the GenuCell under eye cream. We have new GenuCell 3 products on the way, so she can add that to her skincare routine as well. It's not just Savvy. My wife uses it. My mom uses it. You deserve to look and feel your best this holiday season. Go to GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Get this incredible holiday discount for 70% off their most popular package. That includes the GenuCell 3 and the Dark Spot Corrector. And their product is so good. My family started using it like a decade ago. And even when they're not advertised, my family still uses the product. GenuCell.com slash Shapiro for 70% off today, plus free priority shipping. That's GenuCell.com slash Shapiro today and get your results in 12 hours or less. Okay, so again, the, the bottom line is that what happens next in the Gaza Strip, which has become an area of contention between the Israelis and the, and the Americans, that relies on what you think the Gaza Strip is, meaning who do you think? is going to pick up the pieces over there. Now, Israel has tried to hand it to Egypt. Egypt doesn't want any piece of it. Why, why do you think Egypt doesn't want control of the Gaza Strip and neither does Israel? Why do you think that is? Is it because they all hate that six miles of beachfront territory on the Mediterranean? It's actually pretty nice territory right on the Mediterranean. It's like a coastline, same coastline as Tel Aviv. Why exactly does no one want this? The answer is you have 2 million people living there who are so radicalized that Egypt is deeply afraid that if it takes in that group of people, that they are going to have a terror threat on their northern border since ISIS is already occupying large portions of the Sinai Desert, which is Egyptian territory. It's the same reason why Israel has tried to hand over control of Palestinian Arab territories, of Palestinian Arab populated areas in Judea and Samaria to Jordan. And Jordan's like, no, no way, man. We have no interest in 3 million Palestinian Arabs living in this area because they're afraid that it's going to overthrow the Hashemite dynasty. That's the irony of watching Queen Rania of Jordan who is Palestinian Arab by extraction, talking about how much solidarity she has with Palestinians. 
Um, if you did, you would resign your position and the Hashemite dynasty would be overthrown. But you're enjoying your five-star hotels and your extremely luxurious lifestyle while people in your country are living on $4,100 a year. And the reason you're not leaving is because your population in Jordan is a pretty extreme population. And it'll get more extreme if you were to take in, even including territory, three million Palestinian Arabs who hate Jews with a, with a burning passion. By polling data, that's what the polls suggest. The, the, there is no evidence. I'm, I'm still awaiting the evidence that Palestinian Arabs in Judea and Samaria, Palestinian Arabs in the Gaza Strip, overwhelmingly, in the absence of their current leadership, are Jew-loving, peace-loving people. Like what? That doesn't mean, again, that they're legitimate military targets. Nobody's talking about that. What we're talking about is who gets to govern in these areas. One of the assumptions in 2005, when Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip, is that there would then be elections. Those elections were overseen and greenlit by the United States. Condoleezza Rice said that the, she was then the Secretary of State, that the the election that was held in the Gaza Strip was legitimate. Who got elected? Hamas. Hamas then proceeded to kill everybody in the Palestinian Authority. But if there were an election held today, the reason Mahmoud Abbas has not held an election in Judea and Samaria is that he's afraid. He hasn't held an election since 2008, by the way. He's afraid that if an election were held today, the Palestinian Authority would lose. They don't actually have all that much power. That's how extreme the population is in these areas, which is why the problem is supremely intractable. With that said, this is why Israel is saying that they're going to have a continuing security role in Gaza after Hamas is ousted. According to the Wall Street Journal, Israel said it intends to retain security control of Gaza for an indefinite period once the war with Hamas ends, prompting U.S. officials to stress their opposition to a reoccupation of the enclave. Now, again, Israel did not want to reoccupy at all. Israel literally pulled out everyone. They took 8,000 Jews out of that area in Gush Katif, and they moved them. They physically had Jews remove other Jews and take them away from the area. They've never seen, by the way, anyone in Palestinian government do anything remotely like that. Take Arabs out of one area and move them to another area purposefully in order to hand a concession to the Jews. This has never happened, ever. Israel took 8,000 Jews and moved them out of the north of the Gaza Strip, the Gush Katif area. They handed over their houses, their greenhouses, all of the infrastructure. The Palestinians promptly burned it and elected Hamas and created the greatest terror state. It's like a, it's a giant terror territory over the course of the last 20 years. So when Israel says, we have to maintain a security presence in the... Well, duh. Duh. It's the equivalent of you have the highest crime area in a city. And then you say, defund the police. So you defund the police and the murder rate goes up. And then the murders spread outside that area. And the police say, well, now we got to go back in. Is that because the police are desperate to be in that area? Or is it because the crime needs to go away? And the only way that the crime goes away is if you put law enforcement in the area. That's what Israel is talking about. Here is Benjamin Netanyahu talking about an indefinite period of control over Gaza. Again, if, if there's any thought that Israelis are like desperate to spend blood and treasure to maintain security control over the Gaza Strip, you're out of your mind. Remember, in Israel, everyone is eligible for the draft. Every 18-year-old kid, they turn 18, they got to go to the military. You think moms and dads in Israel are desperate to send their kids into the Gaza Strip? They were so desperate not to send their kids into the Gaza Strip, they handed the damn place over to, over to Hamas. So that's not what Netanyahu's saying. But the Biden administration is like, well, maybe it's a land grab. A land grab of what? Two million Palestinian Arabs? The vast majority of whom despise the Jews and wish to see Israel destroyed by the data? In any case, here is, um, here is Netanyahu talking about what's going to have to come next. President Biden has said that it would be a mistake for Israel to occupy Gaza. Who should govern Gaza when this is over? Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas. It certainly is not... Uh, uh, I think Israel will, for uh, uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. 
When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. Do you have a warning to Iran, to Hezbollah? I think they've uh, understood that if they enter the war in a significant way, the response will be very, very powerful. And I hope they don't make that mistake. Okay, so again, the fact that the United States is taking that as we have to warn the Jews off of reoccupying Gaza, again, no one, except for a very select few people, actually want to have complete civilian control of the Gaza Strip, including pretty much everybody who is in Israeli government at this point in time. Why? Well, because again, the Gaza Strip and Judea and Samaria are honeycombed with people who hate Jews. And by the way, half of them work for the UN. The UN Refugee Agency, which was set up solely for the Palestinians. It's the only agency of the United Nations that's been set up for one group of people and one group of people alone. It's the bizarre reason why cities that have been built in the Gaza Strip and have been there for 75 years are still being called refugee camps, despite the fact, like Jabalia, that they are complete and full cities. Some of the UNRWA employees, by the way, these again, these are people who literally work for the United Nations. Many of these people support terror. These people work for the UN, celebrated the Hamas massacre. For example, UNRWA teacher Asma Rafiq Kuhail, he celebrated the Hamas attack with exclamation marks and a heart emoji. UNRWA employee Mohammed Al-Sheikh Ali, on October 10th, he posted, quote, anyone who tries to flee to the South should be treated the way we ought to treat traitors. And the only acceptable direction to move is east or north, which would be, by the way, into Israel. That's a Hamas invasion of Israel. Or how about the UNRWA Gaza school administrator, Hamada Ahmed? On October 7th, he posted, quote, we welcome the great October. And then he called for ethnic cleansing of all Jews in Israel. These are people who work for the UN. <laughs> so again, the idea that Israel is going to give up control of the Gaza Strip in security terms to the United Nations is absolutely absurd. So what exactly is going to come next? Again, I think in the end, what's going to come is an Israeli military control of the Gaza Strip while they search for some local leader who will do the work of actually attempting to administer the Gaza Strip. Finding that person is not going to be easy. Again, I'm not sure the Palestinian Authority wants it. They can barely control Judea and Samaria. The Egyptians don't want it. The Jordanians don't want it. The UAE doesn't want it. The Saudis don't want it. The Europeans don't want it. The Americans don't want it. Nobody wants it. Why don't they want it? Again, it comes down to there's going to have to be a decades-long shift in the opinion structures and incentive structures of people living in the Gaza Strip so that they recognize that if they were to build their lives around, say, material prosperity and some level of religious tolerance, that their lives might be better than if they direct their lives and their children's lives toward the murder of every Jew in the region. That's the only way that, that anything better is going to happen. That's why when people talk about a two-state solution in the current context, it's absolutely nonsensical. It's absolutely ridiculous. With whom? With whom? You want to talk two-state solution? You're going to need a peace partner. Who exactly would that be? No, no one can answer that question because the question doesn't have an answer, unfortunately. Israel wishes it did, considering that they have now offered very generous peace deals in 1993, 2000, 2001, and 2008, and gave the entire Gaza Strip over to the Palestinians in 2005. Okay, coming up, we're going to get to a series of disastrous elections for Republicans in Ohio, in Kentucky, in Virginia. What the hell is going on? Joe Biden is wildly unpopular. Democrats are not good at governing. So why are Democrats winning every off-year election? We'll get to that momentarily first. The NBA season has started back up, which means now is the perfect time to join prize picks. PrizePix offers projections on pretty much every sport there is. NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, PGA, college sports, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, disc golf, whatever you're into. PrizePix 
is the easiest and fastest way to play daily fantasy sports. You pick two to six players and you choose whether they will score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on a single entry. You don't compete against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Plus, prize picks has a reboot policy. It keeps your entries in play even if one of your players gets injured. For NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't come back in the second, that player is then rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with injury insurance. Producer Jake, for example, big fan of the Memphis Grizzlies. Sadly for him, they are absolute garbage this season, but PrizePix allowed Jake to still enjoy watching that regular season and make entries on his favorite players. Jake says the interface is just fantastic. Go to prizepix.com slash Ben. Use promo code Ben for a first deposit match up to 100 bucks. That's prizepix.com slash Ben with promo code Ben for a deposit match up to $100. Also, as you know, I don't smoke, but my friend, Michael Moles does. He wants me to tell you about our new cigars. Mayflower cigars. Yes, I've noted many times over the years, Michael Moles doesn't really know or do much of anything, but there is one exception to that rule. He does know his cigars. All those years, he should have been working, studying, really doing anything productive. He spent all of his time and my money obsessing over cigars. So in a moment of benevolent mercy, I figured it might be worthwhile for us to start a new brand that can actually use the only gift Michael has been given. Michael tells me that each premium handmade cigar is blended to perfection, aged to perfection. You can try the Mayflower Dawn, a mild to medium bodied cigar, or try the Mayflower Dusk for a fuller bodied smoke. You can enjoy them in three different sizes. I can't tell the difference between these, but Michael can, and he says they're good. If you can't decide, order a sampler pack that includes one of each blend in a variety of sizes. Go to MayflowerCigars.com right now. Get your Mayflower Cigars today. You have to be 21 years old or older to purchase. Some exclusions may apply. So meanwhile, last night, series of disastrous elections for Republicans across the country. So Democrats have won control of the Virginia legislature. This was seen in large part as a referendum on Glenn Youngkin, who is the Virginia governor. There, for some odd reason, seemed to be a lot of notion that Youngkin was going to throw his hat into the presidential race or something if the Virginia state legislature had been taken by Republicans. I think that was always a fool's errand. There was really no groundswell for Glenn Youngkin to get into the presidential race. It didn't really matter because Virginia Democrats did really, really well last night. They did really, really well because they won based on running on abortion. That was the issue that they ran on. Now, here is the thing about political issues and messaging. There is no such thing as a winning issue. There is only such a thing as a winning message. This is something that Republicans and Democrats should keep in mind as they run for office in the future. When it comes to running, it's not that an issue just defaults to you. So if there's a poll that says Joe Biden, really unpopular on the economy, that's not a Republican issue. You have to then craft that into a message that wins. This is true for virtually every issue. Any issue could theoretically be a winning issue so long as it is messaged properly. So, for example, when Glenn Youngkin became governor of Virginia and upset Terry McAuliffe, the former governor of Virginia, when that happened, one of the reasons he won is because there was a parents' rights movement that really sprang up around a case that was reported by our own Luke Rosiak here at Daily Wire in Loudoun County. Were schools a winning issue in Virginia or was it a winning message that parents ought to have control over their own kids and their education? and their safety, and those kids should not be put in danger by foolish school administrators. And then Terry McAuliffe picked the wrong message, which is you should not be in control of your kids, that the administrator should be in control of your kids. So you have to have a winning message and your opponent has to have a losing message. That is the way that you actually win elections. Well, Republicans since 2016 have not had any winning messages. Let's just be real about this. Ronald Romney McDaniel should not be the head of the RNC. I don't know how you can lose this many times in a row and still retain your job. It's truly amazing. The only person who has failed up as much as Ronna Romney McDaniel at this point is Kamala Harris. Republicans have now lost elections in 2018, 2020, 2021, 
2022 and 2023. The last election they won was 2016. They've underperformed every single election since then. And yet people retain their jobs and continue to draw paychecks. And that is unacceptable. So what exactly happened in Virginia? Well, one of the things that happened in Virginia is, again, there's a lot of talk about abortion by Democrats. So according to the Washington Post, Democrats flipped control of the Virginia House of Delegates, securing victories in at least 51 seats, giving them a majority in both chambers of the General Assembly. Republicans were defending a slim 52 to 48 majority, but Democrats saw an opportunity to make gains under newly drawn maps following a court-ordered redistricting process. So Democrats definitely got a hand from the local courts in drawing districts that benefited them. Shortly after 11 p.m., before any independent news organizations called the race, Virginia House Minority Leader Delegate Don L. Scott declared Democrats would assume control of the House and the Senate following Tuesday's election. So again, this was a race that was largely run on the basis of abortion. Glenn Youngkin was running around the state attempting to drum up support for his own side. The problem is that right now, again, things are not going like Youngkin is personally very popular in Virginia. That doesn't necessarily translate over into Republican control if Republicans have a bad image across the country. And right now, Republicans have a bad image across the country. They're seen as largely incompetent. Again, partially or largely earned. They're seen as extreme by brand. And that is largely tied to January 6th and Donald Trump in particular as we will see in in discussing some of these other elections. And when it comes to the abortion issue, Republicans have not yet gotten their heads around an actual winning message on the issue. Now, the truth is that winning message on abortion is not the same across the country. Politics is a pragmatic business. And the full pro-life message in Virginia is not going to go the same way as the full pro-life message in, say, Georgia or Florida. In Florida, you can pass a six-week abortion ban because Republicans are very popular here. In Georgia, you can do the same. You can't do that in Virginia. Glenn Youngkin was not running on that. He was running on a 15-week abortion ban. The problem was the Democrats were saying that's the first step toward Republicans going for the full abortion ban in Virginia and local ladies got very upset and they all came out and they voted in favor of the Democrats. And the same thing happened in Ohio as well. In the wake of Roe versus Wade, Republicans have not come up with a state-by-state strategy or a messaging strategy. And here is what the actual strategy needs to be. On a state-by-state basis, where there is consensus, you pass a thing. Where there is not consensus, you don't pass a thing. Now, there is no one in America as pro-life as I am. I've spoken in the March for Life. I'm fully pro-life. I don't even, in my own personal idea of, of what good legislation would look like, I would not tolerate abortion, even in cases that are very controversial, like rape or incest. I'm as pro-life as it is possible to be. I've been extremely clear about this. However, If you wish to see fewer abortions in the United States, if you wish to see durable law in the United States, you have to win. And if you want to win, that's going to mean they're going to have to come face to face with some tough realities. And the reality is that running on my platform, running on what I would like to see is not going to win you office in Virginia. It's not. And the more threatening you appear in Virginia, the worse it's going to go for you. The same thing happened in Ohio. So in Ohio, the Democrats in in pretty wide fashion, won a referendum on abortion, what they call abortion rights. What it really was, was enshrining Roe versus Wade in law in the state of Ohio. So in Ohio, there was an attempt to um, enshrine the right to abortion in the state constitution. It's a ballot initiative. It establishes, quote, an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. And it creates legal protections for anyone who assists a person with receiving reproductive medical treatment, according to the Washington Post. 
The amendment grants the treating physician the authority to determine on a case-by-case basis whether an unborn child is viable and grants exceptions for abortions at any stage of pregnancy to protect the health or life of the mother. So why did this happen? Well, the reason this happened is because there was another election that was held in August. That was a referendum that would have made it more difficult to amend the state constitution through future ballot initiatives. The reason for that is because there was a snapback law in place in Ohio that had effectively banned abortion almost across the board in Ohio in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade being overturned. So they tried to pass a law, the Republicans, that basically enshrined in the Constitution what that law was. It's going to be very difficult for you to overturn that. And that was rejected. And then a right to abortion was enshrined in the state Constitution. Now, let's say that the Republicans, instead of allowing that snapback law to go into place, let's say that they said, listen, we know that in Ohio, that the, the law before this was 22 weeks. 22 weeks is way too late. But we need to incrementally introduce the people of Ohio to what good abortion law looks like. They're not going to go to six weeks and stay there. And if you want to preserve lives in the long term, you're going to have to do this incrementally because that's how politics often works. The message is lives must be preserved, but we also have to go a little slower than even we would want, for sure than we would want, because people have to get used to ideas. They have to be unindoctrinated about what life is and what abortion is. And so we're going to go to a 15-week. In Ohio, hard to see how that would have failed, for example. Ohio's a very red state. Donald Trump won that state by 8, 10 points in the last couple election cycles. They didn't do that. And so instead, you get the snapback in Ohio, which now has enshrined basically Roe versus Wade. Again, that's the same thing that happened in Virginia. Republicans, is it, a lot of Republicans are saying abortion is not a winning issue. It's not about being a winning issue. It's about do you have a winning message and can you wrong foot your opponents? The nice thing about arguing for an incremental approach is that Democrats are then forced to argue in favor of 20-week abortions and 22-week abortions. And that's not something that they like arguing over. They like arguing over rape and incest exceptions because those are the most outlying and, and least common forms of abortion. Both sides like arguing at the extremes of this particular argument. The right is very comfortable arguing par- partial birth abortion for obvious reasons. The left is very ar- comfortable arguing rape and incest. The question is, where is that line where the median voter tips over from one side to the other? And again, winning elections is the precondition to changing the law. Republicans should keep that in mind. Meanwhile, over in Kentucky, by by the way, the polling in Ohio was pretty clear about this. Every single demographic supported the enshrinement of Roe versus Wade into law. It was split 50-50 with white men, but white women supported the initiative 57 to 43. Black men supported the initiative 87 to 13. Black women supported the initiative 81 to 19. In fact, the only demographic that voted against this initiative to enshrine Roe versus Wade were people who are 65 or older. Literally the only one. Okay, so that means the Republicans messaged it wrong. I mean, that's clearly the, the message here. That doesn't mean you got to run away from the abortion issue. You can make very strong and excellent abortion arguments. But what is happening right now is that all this is getting hashed out at the state level, which is why Roe versus Wade, by the way, this is what should have happened. Roe versus Wade being overturned kicked it back to the state level. States now get to decide on their own, legally speaking, how to approach the issue of abortion. Republicans in each state have to take stock of exactly how they wish to run on those particular issues. And until Republicans start to realize that a nationalized strategy across all issues is not going to work, they're going to continue to lose state elections. Over in Kentucky, meanwhile, Andy Bashir won his reelect effort, which is amazing because, again, that state won 22 points in favor of Donald Trump. Now, he did outspend his opponent, Daniel Cameron, by a very large margin. Bashir and his Democratic allies apparently swamped Republicans, spending $47 million on ads after the May primary. Republicans were only able to spend $29 million 
Bashir's campaign spent around $24 million on ads. That's more than five times what Cameron's campaign actually spent on all this. And again, Kentucky was run on abortion. Bashir's campaign featured a young woman whose stepfather raped her when she was 12 and suggested that she needed to be able to have an abortion. So again, Democrats are going to run on abortion on the state level across the country. Republicans are going to have to figure out on a state-by-state level how to address this issue because that is the realm of practical politics. Overturning Roe versus Wade, you can make a full pro-life case for overturning Roe versus Wade. You can certainly make an easy legal case that Roe versus Wade should be overturned. But to pretend this is not a thorny issue for Republicans is to ignore the realities of the facts on the ground on the state level. To pretend that the same message works in Georgia as works in Ohio, as works in Kentucky, as works anywhere else is a mistake. And Republicans had better get their heads around that or they're going to continue losing. It also doesn't help when, again, you're running candidates who add to the pile things like January 6th or or can be labeled, quote unquote, MAGA. People on the right are annoyed that the left keeps saying MAGA over and over. Obviously, the left finds this fruitful. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. As an electoral strategy, it has borne fruit for them which means they'll continue to do it until Republicans come up with a better counter than nanny nanny boo-boo. In just one second, we'll talk about the vulnerabilities of Joe Biden because there's a big Republican debate tonight. We'll get to that momentarily first. The Ben Shapiro Show is supported by Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university with a vibrant campus in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Ranked top 20 in the country by Niche.com, GCU is a missional Christ-centered university that strives to foster a culture of community, giving, and impact. GCU's goal is to help you develop into a servant leader who makes a difference through finding your purpose. With 330 academic programs and over 270 online, as of June 2023, GCU integrates the free market system with a welcoming Christian worldview into your bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu today. It's more on this in just one moment. First, you've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. They can sometimes slow your connection, but... ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN, really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. We'll get to more on this in just a moment. First, we're experiencing a lot of global instability as we plunge into primary season. How are you protecting your family in the middle of all of this chaos? The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political, and economic upheaval dating back to ancient times. That, of course, is gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold, and Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out and balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text BEN to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold the way that I did. Diversification is always a smart business strategy, particularly 
in really tenuous times. This is a tenuous time. You should check out my friends over at Birch Gold. Text Ben to 989898. Get in touch with them today. Ask all your questions. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold. Well, all of this, you know, the fact that messaging matters, that there's no such thing as a winning issue, there's just a winning message. This is the reason why Joe Biden's vulnerabilities are not in and of themselves going to defeat Joe Biden. Somebody has to defeat Joe Biden. There has to be a winning message. As much as we talk in 2020 about Joe Biden hiding in the basement, and that's true, the winning message for Joe Biden was Trump is crazy, he shouldn't be president. That was the winning message for him. And it did win. That's why the basement strategy works. Now, Donald Trump could win an election against Joe Biden by saying, that guy's awful at this job. He is awful and terrible at this job. But that means he has to run on that. The election can't be about anything else. Well, the good news is that's pretty fertile ground. Democrats are busily attempting to convince people that everybody is doing great in America. Paul Krugman has an entire piece titled, Why Does the Right Hate America in the New York Times Today? Why, why is he saying that the right hates America? Because the right is pointing out that crime has spiked in the last couple of years because of Democrats and their, and their pro-crime policies. That Republicans are sort of upset about the state of the economy, even though he says that the economy is just glowing and doing amazing. Really, try to convince the American people that their feelings are wrong on these issues. Really, go for it. Even many Democrats and, and popular Hollywood entertainers are starting to figure out that Joe Biden is a very, very bad candidate. Now, again, Republicans could take that for granted and then just assume he's going to lose. That would be a huge, widespread mistake. But here was Sarah Silverman last night. And this is pretty biting stuff against Joe Biden. Let's kick things off with the reason most of the people in this audience could not sleep well last night. A new poll shows Joe Biden getting trounced by Donald Trump in almost every single swing state. Don't panic. It's still too early to say Biden will definitely lose. He could absolutely die in his sleep instead. I'm just saying. This is really scary for liberals. And I mean, actually scary, not like they took Hamilton off Disney plus scary. <laughs> well, yes, Democrats are in a state of full scale panic over Joe Biden. And again, they should be because there's going to be more that drops about him and Hunter. There's going to be more that drops in terms of the economy before the election. Now, tonight is a big Republican debate. Now, when I say big, I mean kind of big. The reason I say kind of big is because Donald Trump is running away in the polling data right now, just running away. The national GOP polling data has Donald Trump up near 60%. That's as high as he has been this entire election cycle. He is up in the real clear politics average at 58%. Ron DeSantis is at 14. Nikki Haley is at nine. Vivek Ramaswamy is at four. Christie is at three. And everybody else is an also ran. I do love that in the real clear politics polling average, Tim Scott is running below Mike Pence, who's no longer in the race. Doug Burgum, for some reason, is still in the race. No one understands why, but okay. In any case, Trump has this extremely large lead. Now, in Iowa, the lead isn't quite as large, but it's still very large. So the current polling suggests that he is up on the field by somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 27 points. That's where, which is a big lead. It is a big lead, but he does not have a majority of voters clearly moving in his direction. Yesterday, Kim Reynolds, who's the governor of Iowa, very popular governor of Iowa, endorsed Ron DeSantis. Here's what that sounded like. We need to make sure that we choose wisely, that we make the right decision, that we elect somebody who can actually win and beat Joe Biden. And we need a president who has the skills and the resolve to reverse the madness that we see on a daily basis. We need a president that is focused on the future and not the past. And we need a president who puts Americans and America first. And I'm here to tell you that that man is Ron DeSantis. Okay, so there she is endorsing. Now, she's, is she wildly popular in Iowa? She's kind of like even in Iowa. 
The latest Emerson College poll showed her approval rating at 32% approved, 39% disapproved, 29% neutral. So they're kind of like, eh, about Kim Reynolds in Iowa. But she does have a very large political organization in Iowa. And this effectively is going to foreclose the possibility that Nikki Haley comes from behind and overtakes at this point Ron DeSantis. Because again, it's a caucus state. So what that means is that DeSantis in Iowa is the truest threat to Trump. Now, that's also the state where the polls are the closest. So if nobody beats Trump in Iowa, it is clearly and overtly over. It may be over even if somebody does beat Trump in Iowa. Obviously, he lost Iowa the first time around against Ted Cruz, and then he proceeded to win the nomination. If you look at the other states that are coming up in the Republican nominating process, Trump is well ahead in all of those states. So in New Hampshire, he has 49% to Haley's 15% to DeSantis's 11% to Christie's 9%. Now, again, those numbers aren't 55%, 60% in the early states, but that's before you get down south. And once you get down to like South Carolina, Trump's going to clean up. So there needs to be a major showing of some level of momentum by another Republican candidate. The thing that is prohibiting that is, in fact, Joe Biden's weak polling data. Republicans are going to have to think a little bit with their heads instead of just looking at the polling data. Now, that's weird for me to say. I think polling data is kind of the only data we have. What other evidence do we have? With that said, the polls are also showing there's a lot of malleability between Trump and Biden. So you got to take that into account. Will Trump be able to deliver the knockout blow to Biden? Will he be able to deliver the message that is going to get Joe Biden booted from office? That's the question hovering in the background of tonight's Republican debate. So what needs to happen in tonight's Republican debate? Well, clearly at some point here, DeSantis and Haley are going to go at each other. Haley has to knock DeSantis out. She has to not only knock DeSantis out, she has to somehow consolidate the rest of the field's support. That's a very uphill road. As I've said before, Ron DeSantis, if he bows out of the race right now, half his support will go to the non-Trump candidates and half his support will go to the Trump candidate, meaning Trump. That means that if he's got 20% in these polls, 10% of that goes to Trump. That puts Trump at 60 or 70%. So that's over. Haley, her entire support base is outside the Trump camp. No one who loves Trump is supporting Haley. That's just not the crossover right now. If she were to drop out, presumably that support gets split among Christie and Ramaswamy, probably not Ramaswamy, Christie, DeSantis. And then as the field consolidated, it might turn into a two-man race. With that said, what is tonight's race good for? It's got to clear the field. There has to be some dropouts after this race. Tim Scott needs to go away for whatever his 3% are worth. Chris Christie has no shot at the nomination. He knows it. It's a spike campaign. That's the only thing that drives the, the, the round mound or rebound over here is just pure spite. That's the only reason he's still in the race. He needs to go away. He, he, he's doing nothing that Mike Pence didn't already try. This is, a, this is a two-person race for the second place finish. And until that part of the field consolidates, there's certainly no shot at defeating Donald Trump. Even if they consolidate, Donald Trump has, just by the numbers, a wild advantage. And Republicans are going to have to decide before the election cycle if they believe that Donald Trump is the best person to take on Joe Biden, just assuming that Biden himself is the winning issue and there doesn't need to be a winning message. All right, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be joined by Dan Signori, former White House foreign policy advisor and author of The Genius of Israel. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, 
Just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let PureTalk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 